Okay, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful day, the opportunity we have to come together to to worship you, to learn from your Word, and God, I just pray that you'd be with us as we um, as we study uh, the life of Jesus and the things that He accomplished, and God, I just pray that uh, these would be things that we would think deeply about and, and just come to a, a deeper understanding of who you are. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing our study of the life of Jesus, and um, just in God's providence, we happen to be um, at the at the Last Supper on a Sunday that uh, that we are going to be taking the Lord's Supper. So that's it's a nice little bonus there. Um, last we left off, Jesus had um, basically just spent the week in Jerusalem having all sorts of conflict with the um, the religious leaders um, and just having lots of debates and um, they're just very determined that they're going to uh, to get rid of him and at the at the end we saw that um, Judas had actually gone and had uh, spoken to them and had arranged that he would find a way to deliver Jesus over to them when the crowds weren't present and we'll get some money for that. Um, so we're going to continue. And just just uh, in case you notice, I, I handed out a, a little sheet there uh, for a part of the study. That's it's not right away, but it's a little later. I mean, I sometimes I feel bad that I make you jump back and forth between the four gospels, but it's going to be like really bad during that section. So that's just to be kind to you and make it where you're not flipping back and forth, uh, you know, a dozen times while we go through that section. So, um, but we're going to begin here um, in the Gospel of Luke, um, beginning in chapter 22, uh, verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus uh, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And uh, they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So, um, so this is this is a little interesting section as they're preparing for the Passover. Um, are these the the type of directions that you would expect somebody to give in this type of circumstance? No, I mean it, it, it's a random man carrying a jar. So find him. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that, that's a. It's a bit strange, right? Yeah. Um. Uh. So why why might that be? Any idea why Jesus might be given these instructions in such a strange way? And this is a tough question because it's like. The answer that 
seems likely to me right now was one that I had never occurred to me, and I read it in a commentary as I was preparing. I was like, oh, that makes sense. So don't feel bad if you don't think of anything. To me, it's it's showing uh, uh, well, showing that he is God, that he knows that there will be a man who will. Okay. I mean, it's showing. Uh, I'm blanking on the word, but just I, the omnipotence mm. of God mm. and of then Jesus is God. That mm-hmm. he, he knows that there will be a man who has this upper room, and he will be in the market. And he'll be carrying it. On. Yeah, yeah. That's that's certainly uh, one way you could approach it. Very much like when he sent the people ahead to get the colt to ride on, where yes. it's like, go ahead, you're going to find this colt, take it, and they're going to like, they're going to ask, what are you doing? You know. So it could be that, that that that's what's going on. There's another idea. Does anybody have any other other idea? I mean, it's like again, I did not think of this. I just read it in the commentary. So just to see if anybody else has ever encountered it. I don't see anybody volunteer, volunteering. Um, well, here, here's here's a thought. I mean, it's it's speculation, but uh, could it be uh, that this had already been secretly arranged with the disciple in order to keep Judas from knowing where they were going to eat the Passover meal? Because when you think about it, what's Judas's plan? Judas's plan is to uh, is to make it where they can get to, to Jesus when there's not a crowd around. So you think, you know, during the Passover meal would actually be a reasonable time to do that because it's just a small group of people there. Um, so um, anyway, Hendrickson, anyway, in his commentary, suggests that perhaps that's what's going on, is, is that Jesus is keeping Judas from knowing where they're going to eat the Passover because he wants the arrest to be delayed until after that. So... I don't know that that's the case. I mean, we're, we're speculating, but it does seem like a reasonable uh, possible explanation. Um, and I know some of you have, have showed up since we started. I do have a, a little handout that's on the seat by the door. Um, so anybody that wants the handout is, is welcome to grab that. It's, it's not going to come up immediately, but as we get towards the end, there's going to be a section where rather than having you flip back and forth between the Gospels, that, that'll, that'll have all the texts there for you. Um, we're going to turn over to the Gospel of John now. Uh, John chapter 13. I'm going to go ahead and just read this whole section. It's, it's kind of lengthy, but... I think we'll have time. Um, so, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour, uh, that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were uh, in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, uh, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was uh, wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, uh, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Uh, Jesus answered, 
Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, uh, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Uh, Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. Uh, that, uh, that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So, here, well-known passage of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Um, why, why do you think Peter was reluctant to have Jesus wash his feet? I mean, what's the big deal? Yeah. Um, it would be an act of servitude. It would be an act of servitude, right? Because yeah. who, who normally washed people's feet? Servants. Yeah, the servants. That was like the lowest position you could have is to be uh, the position of washing uh, someone's feet. And yet here's Jesus washing their feet. Um, what was the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach them? Give you a hint. To be in submission to one another. To yeah. Be, uh, to love and care for each other's needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically, the idea that like just because you're in, you might be in a high position, doesn't mean that you should be lording it over people. I mean, you look at at Jesus. Um, he's basically saying, "Look, I'm your teacher. You call me teacher, rightly so. I am your teacher." But I'm still willing to stoop down and do this really low office for all of you. Um, and that's the way that, that he is charging the disciples to behave as well, to be willing to stoop down and take the lowest office and not to have any type of attitude of like, well, I have a high position, therefore, you know, I, I, I'm above doing those, you know, those menial tasks. And we can, I mean, we can spend tons of time talking about it, but we have lots to cover. So one other point I want to bring out here. Um, why does Jesus make reference to one of them not being clean and not being chosen? That would be referencing to he knew Judas would betray him. Yeah, he's referencing the fact that Judas is going to betray him. Why is he Why is he bringing this up? I mean, he knows it's going to happen. Why is he, why is he, why is he mentioning it? For the other disciples' sake. What's that? For uh, the other disciples' sake, for our sake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he actually is pretty explicit in verse 19. He's like, I'm telling you this now, so that when it happens, you'll know I knew about it already. He's 
He's making sure that they have a clear understanding of who he is, who Jesus is, by telling them beforehand, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. Do you have the thoughts on that before we continue? I mean, it's a it's a wonderful section uh, that could probably take several sermons. But. All right. Um, I'm going to flip over to Matthew now. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, beginning in verse uh, 21. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better uh, for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. So how did the how did the disciples react to being told that one of them would betray him? They were sad at it. Yeah, they were sad. Yeah, they were they were sorrowful. Um, I mean, and they, you know, what, what did they do? They asked if it was them. Uh huh. I'll say some of it. But to me, some of it could be an incredulous, well, it couldn't be me, or is it me? Or it could be if they recognize that they're sinful nature and mm-hmm. they recognize that they are capable mm-hmm. of something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say for sure exactly what's going on in their heads, but it does seem to indicate that they like they all kind of realize it's like, wow. I mean, they're like introspective. It's like, could it be me? Um because I imagine that they all assume that it's like, well, these, you know, everybody here is just, we're the most loyal people to Jesus, uh, you know, all. We're, we're the 12, right? Um, and so, I, you know, I'm sure it, it, it was, I'm sure it shook them. It is interesting, the, the fact that Judas asked the question, and Jesus basically tells him, yeah, it's you. And you really got to, I mean, again, we, we would have to speculate to know what's going on in Judas's head, but you really have to wonder what's going on in Judas's head at this at this moment during this conversation. Uh, I mean, does he, is he thinking, I wonder if, I wonder if he suspects me, you know, um, and just like trying to put up the show. And I, I mean, it's, it's interesting. But, uh, but Jesus is definitely intent on continuing this discussion and letting them know that he knows exactly what's going to happen. This is not going to be by surprise. I mean, they still just don't really get what's going on. He's told them over and over again that he's going to be he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be handed over, um, he's going to he's going to die. Um, and they they always just like really struggle to grasp what's going on. Um, but I think he's just like really hammering home these things. That even though they don't get them now, that when it's over, they'll be like, yeah, this is exactly what he said was going to happen. So that they would just have no doubt whatsoever um, about who he is. Um, flipping back over to John, um, this is still in the same vein, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 23. Uh, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the the son of Simon Iscariot. Uh, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Uh, Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Uh, Some thought that uh, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what, is, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So who was, who was sitting next to Jesus here? Judas. What's that? Judas. Judas? Um, well, Judas was here at the table somewhere, but... And close enough that Jesus could hand him some bread, but uh, there's there's somebody that's sitting right next to him. John. Sorry. John. John. Yeah. So he's, he refers to himself as uh, the the one the disciple that Jesus loved. That's the way that John refers to himself throughout the gospel. Um, so John is sitting right next to him. Um, and then of course Peter, he's you know he wants to know what's going on, so he's. He's saying, John, you know, let's see if you can find out who it is. Um, and, you know, and Jesus basically reveals to John um, you know, who it is that's going to betray him. Um, do you think that the other disciples uh, could hear the conversation between Jesus and John? I think it depends on the nature of how the table is set up, how far apart they are. Right. Is there anything in the text that gives us any ideas about whether they would have heard basically Jesus say, yeah, the guy that's going to betray me is the guy that I hand this to, and then hand it to Judas? How close, if he was close enough to hand it to the other disciples? I, I'm sorry. Jesus was close enough to hand it to other disciples. Okay. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure... He's saying he's within arm's reach. Other disciples were, fit, were within arm's reach. Okay. So, I, so, I, I would say, suggest that they, they didn't mm-hmm. because it says that some thought that because Judas had the money bags, Jesus was telling him what he needed for the feast. He went out to get it. So mm-hmm. if they had heard that, they would have known why he was leaving. Right. Yeah, I think I think that is the case. That it's that uh, but like when he told Judas to go, that was loud enough everybody could hear, but that none of them really knew what was going on. Um, presumably, John. I mean, I don't know if John even knew exactly why he was telling him that, but at least John had the information that is like, okay, he's the one that's going to betray him. Um, so presumably, John's the only one at this point that actually knows that it's Judas that's going to betray him. Um, it would be reasonable to assume he probably told Peter um, at some point, since Peter was was asking him. But um, but most likely, you know, the the rest of the disciples still didn't really know that that it was Judas that was going to betray him. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, if you think of even in our times, 12 people sitting around a large table, it would be easy to talk oh, to yeah. someone right next to you. Exactly. The rest of the table has no... They might yeah. know you're talking, but they don't know what you're saying. Right, yeah. yeah. It would be very easy to have that private conversation. So, I mean, presumably even like John's motion, or Peter's motioning to John in a way that Jesus doesn't see, because I, I can't imagine he was motioning to... To, uh, to John, just like and Jesus sitting there looking right at Peter. He was probably less like, you know, when Jesus looks away, he's like, hey, find out who it is. So 
there there's certainly some private conversation going on amongst the table. So um, so then what happened to Judas at this point? Satan entered him. Mm-hmm. Satan entered into him. So at this point he's you know he's he's committed to his course of evil. He is following the the will of Satan um, in betraying Jesus. And I mean, once once Judas leaves, it's it's pretty much up, right? It's like I mean, I'm sure Jesus, you know, at this point knows it's like okay, there's there's no going back. You know, it's they're coming after me now. Um, so then um, it's a little bit difficult getting all of the order of things um, when you're comparing the four Gospels just because sometimes they present certain things in different order but um, it it looks like from my perspective that it's like after Judas leaves that, that this happens um, going let's see back over to Matthew uh, chapter 26 uh, beginning in verse 26 Matthew 26 26 uh, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, uh, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So they're here at the at the Passover meal. Is this is this normal language that would be spoken at a Passover meal? Think any other? Uh, other people in Jerusalem that were presiding over a Passover meal and other houses were saying anything like this? Probably not, no. <laughs> Probably not, no. Not my blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what's going on here? What's what's Jesus doing? Is he giving a new meaning to the meal? He's showing that he is the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. You know, they've taken this their whole life in one sense, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, always thought of it in terms of the Old Testament and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, he's he's showing he's the fulfillment of that Passover right. lamb. So, right, yeah. Isn't the meal tra- traditionally, uh, and I'm no expert on this, but it is, there are there's symbology in the Passover meal, and they do discuss all the things that happened during the Passover and the, the the blood that was put on the doorposts, etc., mm-hmm. and so he's he's applying it to himself. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So he's he's taking something that again they've known for their whole lives that has had a very specific meaning in terms of the history of Israel and their redemption out of Egypt, um, and he's he's putting a new emphasis on it. It's not completely disconnected from the past. It's it's much more the idea of fulfillment, like Pastor Rick said. It's almost like uh, when he first sat down in the synagogue and he said about the scriptures in Isaiah, this is fulfilled in your presence. It's mm-hmm. almost like he's saying that doing the same thing in a sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's all just the idea of fulfillment, the idea that all of the Old Testament scripture was pointing to Jesus and pointing to the events that we're reading about in the Gospels. That's what it all pointed to. 
Um, and he's, I mean, he's setting up a, basically a new meal for his followers to participate in, uh, you know, and until the, the end of this age. Um, and just giving it a new meaning based on what he is about to do. Um, now, as we continue, um, John dedicates four whole chapters to Jesus' teaching basically between the meal and their arrival in Gethsemane. And we're not going to cover all of that. That would just take way too much. But I, I want to hit some highlights, just a, a little bit from each of those chapters. Um, so over in John 14... Um, beginning in verse 15 um, Jesus says if you love me you will keep my commandments uh, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so just looking at this statement here, um, is, there a, is there a connection between love and obedience? Yes, most yeah. definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Is that, is that always understood in our day? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, it's often seen as almost contradictory sometimes. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, you can either be obedient or you can, or you can love Jesus. Um, but... Jesus very much has the you know the idea here. That, um, well, and going further on that, wouldn't it be more that if you are not obedient, you are not loving him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you could you could definitely uh, draw that out of there. That because he's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you're not if you're not keeping my commandments, then that's an indication that you don't really love me. Um, so. Um, definitely, this is one of the places we see that um, sanctification is, is a guarantee for the believer. Um, who is Jesus referring to as the helper? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, this is the, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling believers. Um, again, just another important thing here. And again, we, all we can really do is hit the highlights. Um at the very end of, of John 14, um, the, actually the end of verse 31, uh, Jesus says, Rise, let us go from here. Um, and just as I was looking at it, uh, this statement has caused some uncertainty about where exactly John 15 through 17 takes place. Uh, whether they're still in the upper room when Jesus says all those things, or whether they're somewhere between there and the Garden of Gethsemane, whether they're you know walking along the way, or whether they stop somewhere along the way, or exactly what. But um, anyway, just to just to throw that out there, they may not still be in the upper room, or they may still be in the upper room for the next sections here. Um, going on to John 15, uh, verse 18 says, uh, "If the world hates you, uh, know that it has hated me before it hated you." Uh, if you were of the world, the world would love you as it loves its own. But because you are not of the world, uh, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is an interesting statement. Um, and I just want to ask, 
Should this um, statement cause us to feel anxiety or comfort? Should be an easy question. Comfort, yep. I see people mouthing it anyway, or maybe it's just my bad hearing. But, um, so what, why is that? Anybody unpack that a little bit? I'll say the statement really it comes from that statement of I chose you out of the world. Mm-hmm. It, it is I, I have come in and saved you out of the world. The world's going to hate you because of it, but it's because you have uh, because I've chosen you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. People chosen by God. I mean, it's like. Can the world really harm us? I mean, it can it can hate us, it can do bad things to us, but ultimately, can it really harm us? Yeah, and, and I think, too, the Jews would understand that we're chosen a lot differently than mm-hmm. what we understand, Certainly. as Americans, at least, as evangelical American Christians, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can you unpack what you mean by well, that? Well, just, just the fact that the Jews were a chosen people. They, mm-hmm. were, they were God's, you know, elect that he had made them his nation not because that they were greater than any of the other nations and stuff mm-hmm. so there's sort of all that history that you know that just sort of woven into the fabric of their identity mm-hmm. and stuff like that you know today we think of chosen you know like red rover red rover you know i chose you okay. or whatever you know <laughs> right <laughs> and yeah. so you come over and, and that's it you know right. that's all there is to it but they would have understand that that's it's, it's just a, a term that's packed with meaning yeah and stuff. It's, a, it's a it's a it's a covenant relationship yes yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, this. I mean, this statement should give us great comfort, even though it's promising us suffering in a sense. Um, it should give us great comfort. Um, jumping over to John uh, 16, uh, beginning in verse 20. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And so here, I mean, obviously Jesus is again referring to the fact that he's about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to be taken from them for a short period of time. Um, what's the principle that Jesus is illustrating with the uh, with the woman given birth? You have moments of anguish, but eventually you won't remember them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all that suffering that you that you're going to be experiencing and when Jesus is gone that's it's gonna be it's like they're just not gonna even care about it they're gonna be so joyful um, when they see the resurrected Christ it would be very much like a woman who is like it's like huh, I mean not that I I mean I obviously I can't have any personal experience about that but I mean I I imagine it's just like the labor pains are just not really a big deal anymore once you see your your new baby so Does that have any application for us? I mean, obviously, he's speaking specifically of the period of time when 
he would be crucified and wouldn't be physically with them anymore for three days. But is there any application that we can that we can put to our own situation? Do we have Jesus physically with us here now? Is there is there some some negativity to that? Better for us that he's in heaven reigning. Yeah. yeah. We have the Spirit of God mm-hmm. with us. Yeah. Whereas Jesus bound in his, his two natures, the human nature, you can only be in one place at a time in that sense. Mm-hmm. With the Spirit of God dwells all of us. Mm-hmm. So we have the benefit of his presence, his guidance, um, enlightenment, etc. Mm-hmm. At all times. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. I certainly don't want to disparage that at all, um, but I don't know. At least for me, I'm still like really looking forward to being physically in the presence of Jesus, and so um, I think I think it will be even better. And the the sufferings of this life will be will be something that we won't even really consider. Yeah, we only see and know things in part. What's that? We only see and know the things in part, whereas mm-hmm. then we'll see them yeah. fully. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, verse, or sorry, chapter 17 then. Um, this is what's often called Christ's high priestly prayer. Um, just beginning in verse 1 there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And Jesus goes on and, and prays for his disciples and even prays for for us and then he prays for those who would believe after. Um, but just looking at this little section here at the beginning of his prayer, um, is there anything noteworthy that we could see about, uh, for example, the nature of Jesus? Or just anything. What's... Anything stand out to you in this section? When you look at verse 5, it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Is that... Does that um, kind of peel back the curtain and give us a view of something? Jesus left his glory behind. Okay, Jesus left his glory behind. Mm-hmm. Well, and glory I had with you before the world existed. This is showing the Trinity before mm-hmm. before creation. Yeah, showing the Trinity before creation. It's 
It's, I mean, you know, for all of those who, for some reason, have an idea that Jesus is somehow a created being, Jesus is saying, before the world existed, I was in glory with the Father. Um, it, it really is just, I mean, it's a, it's a picture of, you know, before time in a sense. Um, so it's just kind of, kind of neat that, in a sense, it's almost like Jesus just kind of just dropped this in. Um, I mean, obviously he had a he had a purpose for it, but um, you know, and that he's he's praying to return to that state of glory. Um, but it's it's really nice that also it just kind of gives us a little a little extra view um, into the nature of God. Well, that's the little summary of, of John's extensive uh, look at what Jesus says during that period of time. Uh, I'm going to hop back over to Matthew, Matthew 26, uh, beginning in verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, and presumably this is, this is when they're in the upper room, uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, then Jesus said to them, uh, You will all fall away uh, because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, uh, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So how would you describe the disciples' attitude when Jesus kind of drops this bomb on them that it's like, you're you're all going to desert me tonight? Well, it's, it's interesting because we go from the upper room where they're all going, am I the one that's going to betray you, mm-hmm. to a very different reaction mm-hmm. of them all, no, I won't. I, I'm not leaving. Right. Yeah. They're all just very confident. It's, they're, you know, I mean, especially Peter. You know, he's the, he's the the front runner there for, um, just, you know, saying everything. Um, I think it's pretty common for people that you're, uh, you might feel passionate about something and say never. Uh-huh. But then when you actually mm-hmm. get into the difficulties of it, you realize, oh, that's, I, I my my will isn't as strong uh-huh. as I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So. But at this point, they're all confident that they're, you know, they're gonna they're gonna stick with him. Um, hopping over to the Gospel of Mark, um, we're almost to the part where we're gonna be flipping back and forth so much that the sheet's gonna be helpful, but we're not quite there. So, uh, hopping over to Mark chapter 14, verse 32, uh, and they went to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, uh, "Sit here while I pray." And he took with him Peter and James and John and began uh, to be greatly distressed and troubled. Uh, And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon... Are you asleep? Uh, Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. 
And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Uh, Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. So, looking at this section here, what what insight does this give us into the emotional life of Jesus? It says, my soul was sorrowful even to death. Yeah. He knew what was coming, and yeah. he was sad. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't easy. It wasn't. He wasn't just like, oh, yep, I'm just marching along, doing, doing what I'm supposed to do. It was. It was a, you know, it was a real struggle for him. Um, but obviously, like his concern was obedience to the Father above all else, regardless of what suffering would be involved there. Um, what's Jesus's assessment of his disciples? I mean, they're they're just falling asleep. He just keeps coming back, and they're just they fall asleep every time. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right. Yeah. That's kind of encouraging, though, isn't it? Because it's like he realizes they really do want to do the right thing, and it's just they just they just the flesh is weak. So, um, so it's 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 encouraging to know that Jesus is so compassionate. Um, so now, um, now this is where your sheet will come in handy because we're gonna, I believe anyway, is the first one on your sheet, uh, John 18 verse two. Okay, yeah. Um, so this is this is where I got to the point where I was like, I wanted to include so much, and oddly enough, the gospel writers just just in this spot had a just for whatever reason, it's like each of the gospel writers just had their own little pieces of information that other gospel writers didn't include. And so it's just, um, I thought it would be really helpful to just include a lot of what the different gospel writers said. So it requires a lot of back and forth. So rather than make you flip back and forth multiple times, I gave you a little handout there. Um, But John 18, uh, verses 2 and 3, it says, Now Judas, uh, who betrayed him, also knew the place. Uh, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers uh, and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Um, now, just just stopping there, um, and this is this is only um, speculation, but it's it, this. I think it was prompted by my looking at what Hendrickson said uh, about the. You know about possibly that the sending the the disciples to find the guy carrying water might be to conceal from Judas where they were going to have the uh, the meal. But I'm I'm wondering if if it's possible that maybe even Judas, when he got the soldiers, like went to the place where they had been eating the meal. I mean I don't know, but just a, just a, just a thought. You know you know maybe it's like okay he leaves the meal and he goes to get the soldiers and he shows up there. And it's like, oh, they've already gone. And then he goes over to Gethsemane because he knows that's where they frequently go. Because it is interesting that it's like, it seems like there's a pretty long time between when Judas leaves and when he manages to get all the soldiers together and over there. So anyway, just speculation for your own thought. You can just disregard it if it doesn't make any sense. Um, Anyway, continuing there, um, Mark 14 
now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him and said, uh, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and, and kissed him. Uh, but Jesus said to him, or in the Luke passage, uh, <clears throat> Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, what motivation might Judas have for arranging this sign? Any thoughts? Hmm? To make it look as if he's still not true. Yeah, make it look like he's not really betraying Jesus, right? I mean, he could have just walked up and said, there, that's him right there. But then, like, all the disciples would have known. It's like, oh, Judas is betraying Jesus. Um, so presumably that's what's going on, is that he's just arranged this secret sign so that he can um, basically not be discovered by the other disciples. Um, what motivation might Jesus have for asking this question of, of Judas? It's... In some ways, okay, this is speculation. Uh-huh. But making Judas confront what he's doing. Right. Uh, it's also letting the other disciples know what's about to happen, and I know this is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. He's, so he's exposing Jesus, or he's exposing exposing Judas, um, and you know maybe causing Judas to think about what he's doing, um, and certainly you know making the the disciples aware that that's what's going on, um, and it also indicates, you know, who's kind of in charge of what's going on here. And we see that more as we continue. Um, in the John at 18 <clears throat> verse 4 uh, says, "Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek?' And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Uh, Jesus said to them, I am He." Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom, you've, uh, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So, why would these uh, these soldiers have fallen to the ground when Jesus responded to them? Let's say he, he used the uh, the uh, sacred name of Yahweh. Mm -hmm. The I am statement is mm -hmm. that sacred name of Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't show up exactly in the ESV unless you look at the footnote but like if you look at the translation where they italicize added words you'll see that the key is italicized so he's in Greek he's basically just saying I am which is you know it's the divine name it's what um, what God said to Moses in the burning bush but yeah well in the Greek it's ego I mean I and then the verb to be um, which is in the Septuagint it's also what what God uses to how the Septuagint translated I am who I am mm -hmm. in Exodus three to so yeah he it, yeah. it's exactly what Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. It it is a, a reference back to Exodus three. So yeah. That's that's a good point. And I don't I don't know Greek so that's it's good to have that extra 
extra confirmation. Um, but so yeah, um, Jesus is claiming the divine name, um, and they just fall back. So who's in control of this situation? Jesus. Jesus, right? It's not all the guys with swords and clubs and torches. Um, it's just this one unarmed guy. He's the one that's in control of the situation. Um, <clears throat> continuing on there, Luke 22. Uh, and when those who, who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Uh, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Um, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? See, here you can see where it's really important that I give you a handout because that's just too much of jumping back and forth. Um, so so here we see um, Peter, always first, um, pulling out a sword and chopping off somebody's ear. Um, what might have prompted Peter to react the way that he did? I think Peter still has um, a misconception of what the Messiah Mm-hmm. Should be, and that they're there to apprehend him. Now's the time to, yeah, take to take things by force. Yeah, you know, start that revolution, start that overthrow mm-hmm. of the governments. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, we've seen over and over again that there is still just that misunderstanding that people have about what the Messiah is going to, you know, how the Messiah is going to accomplish his work. Um, and so, you know, Peter undoubtedly is still struggling with that. You know, not, he's not realizing that like this is the way that it's accomplished is by Jesus being handed over. And so he thinks we need to stop this. I mean, if Jesus is going to reign as king and they're going to arrest him. Well, we, we've got to stop this. Um, is there anything else that might be in the back of Peter's mind that Jesus just told him that he would betray him? Yeah, betray him. Uh, yeah. Deny, deny, yeah, yeah. Deny that he would deny him, him, that he would desert him. You know, it's like saying, "Yeah, you guys are all gonna desert me." And it's like, I'm sure that Peter's like, "Okay, I'm." He's just determined. It's like, I'm gonna stick with him. I'm gonna, and here we're in the fight. I'm going for it. So, I wish he would die. What's that? I think he said, even, uh, yeah, even unto death. You know, he would, uh-huh. he would yeah, even, yeah. And he's, I mean, he's ready to make good on it. You know, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna go with it. Um, so what is Jesus' rationale for not resisting? Oh, and if he says, would you deny the cup that my father has given to me? I'm not resisting because this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is this is what is determined that I need to do to accomplish this. Did you have something to add or was it just the same? What's that? The same? Yeah. Um so yeah, it's this is what's prophesied. This is what is supposed to happen. Um, so this is this is the way that Jesus is, is going to go: is to not resist and to be arrested. Um, Luke uh, 22, beginning verse 51. But Jesus said no more of this, and he touched the ear. Uh, he touched his ear and healed him. Uh, then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers. 
and the of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So why does Jesus ask about their motives? To establish that their motives aren't entirely pure. Not, I apologize. To establish that their motives aren't just entirely pure. They're not there to arrest you know, somebody inciting any sort of yeah. direction or issue. They're there to, because essentially they hate him. Yeah, it's it's completely unjust, right? They're they're not they're not really like trying to be police and arresting somebody who's a problem. They've got unjust motives, and so rather than arresting a criminal, you know, when you're there in broad daylight, they want to sneak in here in the darkness. And, and also his trial and everything that went along with it was all done at night. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, from what I understand, not according to the law. Yeah, it's, it's it was all done very very secretly, and they were they were definitely very concerned about um, getting in trouble with the people at large um, if they you know if they did anything against Jesus, and, and they knew that they didn't really have any any grounds against Jesus, but they just wanted to get rid of him. But yeah, but this is your hour in the power of darkness, um, and then. Final verse there, uh, Matthew twenty six fifty six. But all this has taken place that the scripture, uh, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Um, it is interesting that here at this point they do actually flee. I, I wonder if there's a. I mean, again, it's just speculation, but maybe there's a difference in in Peter and the rest of his mind between like fighting and. Just giving all ourselves up to be arrested. Um, I don't know, but at this point, they break down and they're just like, "We're, we're done for," and, and they just all scatter. Um, but at this point, Jesus is arrested, um, and so um, next week, Lord willing, we will pick up there and continue looking at Jesus's uh, trial and his crucifixion. Any final thoughts or questions before we close? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we just we just thank you for the the great salvation you've accomplished, and and God, it is truly something that's this is different than we ever would have uh, thought of or planned on our own. But God, just in your infinite wisdom, uh, you have shown your great strength uh, in the weakness of Jesus uh, handing himself over. Uh, to be crucified in our place. And um, God, I just pray that we would continue to meditate on these things, that you would cause our love for Jesus to uh, to grow deeper and deeper um, as our understanding grows. And uh, God, just that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to walk in a manner uh, worthy of the calling with which you have called us, that you would conform us to the image of Christ and that you would be glorified in your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.